Good morning. <laughs> it's so exciting that today, when when everybody's hunkered in and scared, it just felt, you can feel the presence of the Lord. I know it's not just the acoustics, although those are exciting too. <laughs> can feel the Lord's presence here, and I know he's so excited, and he's to, to hear our praises in the middle of the storm. And so, I just want to share just a couple testimonies and then introduce our speaker today who's going to give her testimony um, about being a survivor of an abortion that she personally, her mother, attempted an abortion and she survived. And it's an amazing story of redemption. So I'm so excited for you to hear. And those of you who came to the conference, you get to hear it twice, but I think she's going to give a little twist on that. So you get to hear some new stuff too. Um, This church is a church of mighty servant warriors, I want to (laughs) say. So praise the Lord for all of you. And you all have played your part, um, whether it's through prayer. And that is not like a little thing. Like, it's not like the prayer is just a, oh, I get a pass from serving because I'm just going to pray. Like, the prayer was so important. Thank you to everyone who prayed for us because it was a great spiritual battle this weekend. And we really needed those prayers and the people that were fasting. And what I see is that God is raising up fasting in this time that we're living in. And many, many people are joyfully taking up that mantle of fasting. And last night we talked about in Joel that God will restore the years the locusts have eaten, which is... um, is when the land is devastated and the economy of the land is <laughs> devastated and then his people begin fasting and praying and the, the power of the outpouring of the spirit after that it's you can read it in Joel it's amazing um, we had a wonderful time I want to say this morning the Holy Spirit did a wonderful wonderful time of testimony we were doing testimonies and I can't I can't even put it into words what happened but um, the women There was so much healing that happened this weekend, and now I see why the enemy opposed it so greatly. And he just doesn't want us. He wants us to be depressed and pressed down, and he wants us to be defeated, and he wants us to feel scared, and he wants us to lose faith in this time when we really need more faith. And that doesn't mean we're not careful, but that means we... he does, God wants us to have to trust him that he's taking care of us. We saw such an outpouring of that this weekend. It was so much joy. And this is like the culmination of it. So praise the Lord. Um, I also want to let you know that we have a, a guest here who has a table at the back. And she was here for our conference, Cheryl Creekbaum? Critch. Oh. Critchbaum. And she, um, Cheryl's story, um, she shared last night, but she... Has she is a post post abortive mother who God has delivered mightily, and now she's a voice to help women find healing. And so, if you want to talk to her, her story is amazing. Um, but I'm going to introduce to you Jennifer Milborn. I met Jennifer through Lyric, and Lyric is the director of Faces of Choice, the Super Bowl commercial that Fox would not run because it is a commercial completely of. Um, men and women and children of all different races, nationalities, who survived an abortion um, in their mother's womb. And Jennifer, I saw her video on Faces of Choice, and it was only three minutes, but immediately I had a piece that Jennifer knew the Lord, and she had a message of forgiveness. And we connected, 
and we talk for hours and hours and hours on the phone. We pray together, and this is she's just amazing. So I'd like to introduce Jennifer Milborn to come up and share your testimony. And while she's coming, I don't want to forget to do this. I want to thank Joyce. Where's Joyce? Is she is she organizing or cleaning something? Where is she at? <laughs> and her family, because Joyce has put so much time. Everyone has, and I want to thank the Gendas again for for this um, ministry opportunity to let the Lord use your facility. I want to thank every single person, every woman, every hand, every donated. I mean, people were baked things, prayed, fasted, set things up, got people rides. I can't. I don't even know all the things that happened behind the scenes. All of you are amazing. Joyce put so much time into this, so I wanted to say thank you. But she's not in here, so when she comes, when you see her, give her, give her a elbow bump. And a jazz hands and say thank you. I know that's what she'll like. <laughs> so this is Jennifer. And Jennifer, let me pray for you, you before you get started. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for our sister Jennifer. And thank you for what you've done in her life. I pray that you fill her right now with your Holy Spirit from the top of her head to the bottom of her feet. Um, fill her mouth with your words, Lord God. And I pray that as people hear her testimony, Lord, they will be strengthened in their inner being and that you will build them up in faith through Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for having me. Um, It's really great. I actually was so excited to minister to you guys and to serve you and to help you. And more often than not, everyone was making sure I was okay and giving it to me right back. And when you come from a church that has that servant's heart, it's so appreciated. What you guys have here is such a gift, and I just wanted to thank you so much and thank Barb and Joyce and Becca and Brianna and all my new friends as well, and um, you guys are great, such a blessing, so thank you for letting me speak today. Um, So my name is Jennifer Milborn, and I'm 41 years old, and I'm married to my husband for 21 years. I have a 20-year-old, an 18-year-old, and a 16-year-old. My 20-year-old is a Marine. He's been serving for seven months, and he's super cute. He's still very new to everything. But um, with adult children, there's still that connection you must keep with your kids, right? They're new adults, and um, so we Snapchat him a lot. We send goofy videos, because what he's doing is a sacrifice, and we really appreciate it. And my daughter, Madeline, is 18, and she's actually in our church's Crosswalk Discipleship School. It's a nine-month live-in school, and she's learning how to be a worship leader, a missionary, and really just a servant of Christ. And it's really awesome to watch. And I get her home in three more months, so I'm really happy. And um, my youngest is Gabriel. He's 16, and he's similar to Ellis, which is fun. He's an athlete. He plays football and basketball. And um, he's 6'6", really, really nice kid, good heart. And um, yeah, so just a little bit of information on me. So um, I did survive an abortion. I survived a vacuum aspiration abortion. And that would be the one that um, uses a vacuum to take the, the baby out of the womb. Kind of crazy. Um, I know, amen. Amen for my big head, and I'll get into that in a little bit. So, (laughs) you know, sometimes we're born with those weird little things that we allow kids, you know, to define us as being weird. And um, when we're young, 
And then later on, we, turn, we find out what a blessing they can actually be. And I want, to sh- I want to speak that to you because my large head actually kept me in kind of a bondage when I was young. And I would run around the playground and, you know, take the boys' hats and try and fit them on my head and they didn't fit. So I'd have to go, ugh, and open them up and put them back and then put it on. And by that time, the boys had already caught me. And it was a stupid game and I couldn't play it right. And all the other girls were still running. But, you know, it was one of those things when I was young that, you know, it really hurt my feelings, as silly as it seems. But, you know, when you're a young, a young kid, you don't know any better. And now looking back on it, it's such a funny memory, right? Because this big head, you know, the Lord used it to save my life. So, amen. Um, So I was a carefree young woman gaining confidence in herself. I was 19 years old in 1997. I was living away from home while going to a small community college near the beach, which is great. I had come home on break from college to visit my parents, and my mom and I went out to have some quality time together shopping. I had actually grown up knowing that the woman I had always called mom was my adopted mom, and my rarely seen fun-loving aunt was actually my birth mother. And this was not a weird thing for me. My friends growing up knew, growing up knew about it, and they thought it was weird, and I did feel a little bit like an outcast for it. But, you know, kids are brutal, you just keep going. When my mom, Pat, and I were shopping, I had felt the need to find out all the crazy things I had done when I was a kid. And so I proceeded to ask her for something about myself that I never knew. And wow, did she surprise me. She started by telling me that her sister Carol, my birth mom, had shown up at her door in Illinois. I'm originally from Illinois, near uh, Champaign-Urbana. In the spring of 78, She had asked Pat to take her to a clinic for an abortion. Pat begged Carol to just let her adopt the baby, but Carol said no because she thought it would be too difficult for her to to see her sister raising her child. So Pat took a seat in the waiting room while the procedure was being performed. Carol came out and told Pat the abortionist couldn't finish the procedure because the baby's head was too big. Right, amen. Amen. The abortion had failed, but he was certain that she would miscarry because the amniotic sac had been torn in the abortion procedure, um, which is normal. Carol, who was an alcoholic, was relieved and continued to drink heavily in hopes that it would help hurry along the miscarriage. Obviously, she did not miscarry, and I was born in September of 1978 and was then adopted by Pat and her husband, Lee. At the news of this, I began to cry. Pat realized her mistake in telling me, and in trying to help me get over my pain, she told me not to cry and to just forget about it. So I did. I was a good girl. I pushed it to the back of my mind for a long time. I built a strong, fortified wall immediately to hide the pain and questions in my heart. I was a good daughter, and I wanted to honor my mom. I mean, she had shown me that she wanted me by adopting me. My cool Aunt Carol that I grew up with would buy me whatever candy and treats. And I do want to preface this. I did not grow up in a Christian home. I, it's kind of dorky. I befriended kids that I knew went to church so I could try their church out. 
and I kind of was the church hopper in my community. It's kind of silly, but um, it is what it is. So, um, but when I was a teenager, my cool Aunt Carol would buy my friends and I alcohol. Um, This person that had seemed so fun-loving, without a care in the world, looked like now someone with a lot of guilt and someone who was sad and discontented with her choices. After this news, I stopped seeking her out. In fact, I don't think I saw her more than a handful of times after this. In the subsequent years since that shopping trip, I met my husband, had three amazing children, and became a follower of Christ. I gave Jesus my whole heart and my life and began to find healing and deliverance. I became very involved in my church, became a licensed minister, and helped with our youth and children's ministries for many years. And as those years passed, my relationship has steadily grown with the Lord. In a women's prayer group one evening, I shared that I was adopted, and I accidentally spoke about being a failed abortion which I've come to terms with was not an accident. I really felt the Lord kind of pushed it out of me. Um, The room grew quiet, horribly quiet, and I was very embarrassed. I had just spoken about my family's dirty little secret. And I thought to myself, oh no, now everyone in this room, they're going to know that I'm unwanted, a family blemish, a reject. My dear Pastor Celine came over to me, And she just held me in her arms while I began to cry. She prayed for me, and I began to realize that this was not my fault. My adopted mom, Pat, died a few years later, and I began to wrestle with thoughts of insecurity again. I became irritable and testy, and I couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. Everything became difficult and unfulfilling. And then something changed all that. I found my divine purpose. A friend who was at that women's prayer group and knew about my story of survival talked with our local pregnancy center about my life story. They offered me the opportunity to share this at their annual fundraising gala, and I accepted the invitation to speak. That was about six years ago now, and that started a new chapter in my journey of self-discovery, healing, and redemption. I know there are many who don't believe that there are those who have survived abortions. I mean, I couldn't believe it when I first heard it either. But is it really that difficult to believe? Isn't it possible that there could be those who have miraculously survived? I know I've survived because I have a purpose and a destiny that God saw fit for me to fulfill. And it's not just one-sided. I'm seeing that there are many facets to what my purpose is in this time. I will speak for those sweet little lives who weren't allowed to have a voice. I will speak for the broken and devastated lives that were lied to. I will speak for the families that held on to that secret, afraid of what their loved one would think of them for attempting to silence them or failing. I will speak for those that are holding on to anger directed at the ones at the clinics. And I will speak for the workers that don't understand the full scope of their consequences of their actions. And I will speak for my own children and all the other second-generation survivors who would not be here if the abortion industry could have their way. So there's a lot of facts and statistics and all sorts of information that I'm very thankful for, and you can research and help that define your stand on abortion. 
But that's actually not why I'm here today. And um, this is actually the best part of my message, my story. Um, This is the reason I believe I've been sent out here, and it's to talk about forgiveness and healing, overcoming, and identity. So there's a great minister um, where I'm at named Darius Daniels, and he said, don't hold your healing hostage to someone's apology. I know it's deep. It's a big one. In the Bible, there are many scriptures that teach and show us that God wants us to forgive, right? Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. And remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Easier said than done, though, right? You know, our Father, He's a good, good Father. And in those scriptures, God doesn't just suggest or advise us to forgive. He tells us to. And that tells me that God knows why we should forgive. Forgiveness is an action word. And it's generally defined as a conscious, deliberate decision to release feelings of resentment or vengeance towards a person or group who has harmed you, regardless of whether they actually deserve your forgiveness. Forgiveness does not mean forgetting, nor does it mean condoning or excusing offenses. Forgiveness is a powerful thing, especially for the person who is doing the forgiving. It brings the forgiver peace of mind, and it frees frees them from corrosive anger. Not forgiving and letting things go damages damages us. It's like me drinking poison and hoping that the person who wronged me dies. It doesn't punish those who hurt us. We only punish ourselves. And as you can see, forgiveness is not just a request our Father makes. He knows that we only hurt ourselves when we refuse to forgive. For myself, this was not an easy thing. I was supposed to forgive my birth mother for trying to get rid of me through an abortion and also by abusing alcohol while she was pregnant. I have and still deal with the effects of these choices she has made. She did reject me. Mothers aren't supposed to do that. Mothers are supposed to want you and love you and tell you that everything will be okay. She didn't even know who I would have been. She didn't know that one day I would be a strong woman. She didn't know I was going to have three amazing kids, and without my life being saved, they wouldn't be here. She didn't know I would be able to show unconditional love as a woman of God. How was I going to forgive her? I felt God stirring in my heart several years ago, even after she had already passed away, that it was time to forgive her and let go of all the emotions tied to her. I refused at first. And that brought torment. But the torment was not from God. He had already tried to protect me from this torment that had come. But my anger and hurt had a hold on me. And I was holding on to it also. My heart was hurting so bad for so long that I knew I had to obey my father and let it go. At first, it was me crying to the Lord in my prayer time saying I forgive her without feeling anything. But the more I said it, 
the more I believed it, and the less anger and the less hurt I had towards her. All that began to slowly disappear, and I was left with joy in my heart and could finally say her name without apprehension and without anger towards her. You know, she made the best decision she could with the information she had at the time, and she really didn't know any better. In the 70s after Roe versus Wade, abortion was almost like a popular fad, a fashionable thing to do. And she fell for that lie, that abortion was a form of health care. And alcohol to her was an easy solution to many of her problems. How can I remain angry at her? In my forgiving of her, I began to feel sympathy for her, not condoning her choices, but instead forgiving her actions. She's been gone about six years now, and my hope is that she's in heaven with her Savior, but I honestly don't know. I kept space between us after I found out about what she had done, so I'll just leave that to God. And blessed are those who put their trust in the Lord. I couldn't have forgiven Carol on my own, and I needed God's help, and he graciously gave it to me because I did trust him. He cared about me. He didn't want me to be overwhelmed with hatred. God can't dwell in that place. And I wanted him to dwell with me and I with him to the fullest. I wanted open access to his throne because I loved him. And when we don't forgive, we can build a wall between us and everyone else. And that includes with our Heavenly Father. And this can hurt our relationship with him. And I want to make clear, he's still with us in those places, right? Amen? Amen. Even with the walls, he's with us because he's a good father. Don't hold your healing hostage to someone else's apology. Now, it was 97 when my, mom adopt, or my adopted mom told me about the attempted abortion. <sighs> oh, that's an edit error. We'll blame, the, blame that on my husband. He's not here. Um, Not only did my biological mom not want me because she had given me away, but she was so desperate that she had tried to abort me. And it's hard to describe what I felt that day and the years following. A flood of emotions crashed through my heart, my soul, and my mind. And this is what I was getting in the moment. And remember, I was a 19-year-old girl. I finally had proof, proof that I shouldn't be alive. As we trust God and forgive those who hurt us, whether they apologize or not, we do receive healing. And that is his gift to us when we forgive. Our reward, if you will, for obedience to God. Don't hold your healing hostage to someone's apology. We won't always receive an apology. And there are many people who don't even feel an apology is necessary. I never received an apology from my birth mom. I don't know if she ever even knew that Pat told her about the story. Knowing what I did know of her, I don't think she would have apologized if she had the chance. The last time I saw her before she died was when my adopted mom had passed away. She had refused to come to the memorial, so I went to go see her afterwards. She was very sick from alcohol abuse, years of it. She wasn't coherent, and she wouldn't look me in the eyes when, I, when she spoke. And I hardly said a word to her except to say that the memorial was nice 
and that I loved her because I knew that I was representing Jesus to her and I knew that Jesus had love for her even if I didn't, right? I reached out and I placed my hand on hers as she sat in her chair and then I left and that was it and she died a year later. Don't hold your healing hostage to someone's apology. So now is the time to go a bit deeper. It might not be easy, but it is one thing to forgive people, but what if your grudge is against God himself? And I'll be the first one to raise my hand and say that I have experienced anger towards God. And because of this, I know how tough a place it is to be. And I would say, I think most of us at one point or another have been angry at the Lord. And he's a big God. He can handle it, right? But it is our, our obligation to forgive and to understand his heart, right, for us as his children. You know, I survived an abortion, but what about all the lives that weren't saved? What about the millions and millions that have been snuffed out? And why am I one who survived? Why not them too? Why does this continue? And doesn't God know all the hurting and broken souls that have done this to their babies? And I'm speaking about the women. I have no hatred for any woman who has had an abortion. She is just as big a victim as I was. How could God allow this to happen? I've wrestled with all these things. God is the one we must go to in our time of trouble, but how does that work when we blame him for being the source of our hurt and our anger? My anger towards God was misplaced. I was putting him somewhere where he wasn't, in situations that he couldn't be in and associating him with pain that he didn't give. His love is perfect, faithful, and patient. And he loves us enough to give us the best of everything, but he won't force anything on us. He wants you to find your healing today. For everyone born of God is victorious and overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has conquered and overcome the world, our continuing persistent faith in Jesus Christ. I had issues for most of my life with abandonment and rejection, and I struggled with these in my childhood, not fully knowing the reason why. And part of this, because I knew that I was adopted, someone didn't want me. Then when I found out about the failed abortion, those issues had gripped me even tighter. My birth mom abandoned and rejected me. It felt like, to me, the idea of bringing me into this world made her sick. And these aren't easy things to come to terms with. To rationalize the thoughts of my birth mom, to analyze myself outside of those facts, to look at myself in the mirror and not see a sad, sorry little girl, a victim. Even if my father and mother abandoned me, the Lord will hold me close. I wasn't alone and God will never leave me or forsake me. When I look at myself, I must see what kind of love the Father has given me. He calls me his child. The biblical definition of the world rejection is to throw back, 
Rejection occurs when a person or group of people exclude an individual and refuse to acknowledge or accept them. Abandonment is a similar term, meaning to desert someone, to leave, never return. At one point or another throughout our lives, we have all experienced this. Any case of rejection or abandonment, no matter how minor, it hurts. We overcome rejection by trusting that the Lord will never reject or abandon us. His approval, not man's, is all we need. So how did I gain this victory? First, by trusting the one that calls me his child. And I'll just quickly give you a few verses. Um, Confession. I felt unwanted. I had to repent from that because I was not unwanted, right? God wanted me. Hebrews 10, 23. I chose to ignore the lies. The lies the enemy, right, can hit us with the fiery darts. And the lies that I spoke over myself, that I, I spoke out loud even, and the lies that society and others spoke about me, and ex-boyfriends and whoever who had rejected me throughout my life. John 8, 44. Praying and asking God to change my mindset, putting on the mind of Christ, 1 Corinthians 2, 16. I recited scriptures that spoke the truth of who I am, John 1.12. I consciously made sure that my actions and what I spoke matched with what I was claiming to be true. We can't be a hypocrite. We can't just see healing for those around us and not for ourselves. We have a responsibility to heal, to allow God to heal us so that we can in turn help heal others, right? Hebrews 10, 38, 11 through 1. And I claim, and I still claim, that I have that victory. 1 Corinthians 15, 57. So the last thing I just wanted to touch briefly on is identity. One main area of debate in the world today is surrounding identity. And as a Christian, we should view the Bible in two ways. First, as the holy anointed word of God, and secondly, as a guide for our lives. Morally, financially, structurally, you get it. By following this roadmap, we will find peace and strength. And in these times of uncertainty, turmoil, coronavirus, the Bible will, without a doubt, lead us to all good things if we allow it to. I want you to hear what God has to say to all of us because this is his word to us. In Matthew 4, 1 through 10, talks about Jesus being led into the wilderness to be tempted. When you read this passage of scripture, there is a theme. If you are the son of God. If you are the son of God. If you will fall down and worship me. And there's quite a few things between Jesus and the devil here. Number one, the principles of spiritual warfare. Number two, the power and preeminence of the word of God. And three, the techniques of deception. But among the techniques of deception by the devil, please note the assault on Jesus' identity. If you are the son of God. If you are the daughter of God. And it's very interesting that Satan's first attack, first attack was on Jesus' identity. Satan couldn't defeat Jesus going toe-to-toe like a boxer, right? He knew he didn't have a chance. So he looked to erode the foundation in his life, his identity. 
If Satan could get Jesus to question or doubt his heritage, his destiny would be forfeit. If our enemy did this to Jesus, why are we so surprised when he does it to us? I'm surprised probably every time. It's ridiculous. If you look at the chapter before this, Matthew 3, 16 and 17, what is the very last thing that the father said to Jesus before sending him into the desert to face his enemy? The father declared that Jesus was his beloved son in whom he was well pleased. The father sent Jesus into the battle, into the wilderness, with everything he needed. The father's words were confirming. His identity as the son, that the father loved him, that God was pleased with him, and that he was the, we'll do that, he was the delight of his father before any public ministry. This identity issue was so important that it was the final point the father mentions before Jesus is sent into the battle with his enemy. I would love to specifically confirm your identity, my identity today, so you won't forfeit your destiny, so that you can stand against the assault from the enemy of your soul, and so you can overcome and find fullness of life. Because being confident in who you are in Jesus is one of the most crucial components for success and victory in Jesus, right? Being able to be and to do what God has called you to for fulfilling God's purposes in your life. And the fact is, you are a son and daughter or daughter of God. And those of us who have asked Jesus to be our Lord and Savior, we are children of God. If there is anyone who hasn't asked Jesus to be your Savior, pastors are right here. There's great leadership and wonderful um, people throughout here I know can help you. You know, we can start setting the record straight for all to hear on earth and in the heavenlies by declaring that I am a daughter of God. John 1, 11 through 13, he came to his own people and even they rejected him. But to all who believe him and accept him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn and not with a physical birth, but a birth that comes from God. One of the main reasons for Jesus coming and doing all that he did was to provide the right for all who will believe to become his children. That's what he came to do, and that's exactly what the devil is trying to stop. The devil cannot stop you from being a children, being a child of God. Amen? Amen? He can only lie to you, right, and try to get you to believe that you're not a son or daughter of God. He wants to assault your identity. So say it with me. I am a child of God. I am a child of God. Amen. So in 1 Peter 1, 23 through 24, you have been born again, not of perishable or corruptible seed, but of imperishable, incorruptible seed through the living and enduring word of God. The seed of God is in you. We are genetically linked to God. 
2 Corinthians 4, 6 through 10 says, God, who said, let there be light in the darkness, has made this light shine in our hearts so that we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. We now have this light and power shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing a great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from us. We are pressed on every side by troubles. We are perplexed but not despair. We are hunted down but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down but are not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. So where is this life of God? It's in us. Colossians 1, 26 through 28, that mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but is now made manifest to his saints. We are his saints, to whom God has made known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach, warning everyone and teaching everyone in all wisdom that we may be present Every, or we may present everyone perfect in Christ Jesus. So if we have been born again and we have the very life of God, the nature of God dwelling in us, what is to stop us? What is to stop us from forgiving? Allowing God to heal our hearts by taking those first awkward, uncomfortable steps, right? My hope today is that I in unity with God will inspire you and bring you to a place where you can forgive those that have hurt you in unimaginable ways. And so you can start on your path of true healing, just as I have. In this process, you too will find your true purpose in life to overcome. And with that overcoming warrior spirit, you will see yourself for who you are, the apple of his eye, his anointed child. Death was never a part of God's original plan. In his view, life is precious, and he wants nothing to stop or prohibit life. And sometimes God chooses to allow nothing to stop that life from being released. And that can be in ways that we don't understand. An unanswered prayer, a cry in our heart, it comes in many ways. And in my story, that life is mine, that life is my three children, and that life is my husband's also. We are human beings. We are designed for life and designed to live for him until our time is done. So that's what I brought. I wanted to thank you for giving me this honor. You guys are so great. The women's retreat was amazing, Brianna. Thank you. No, I'm up here. Or you sit down and relax. One of the things that I like about this setting is it's like if you look around your table, it looks like your spiritual family. Look, around your table. Look, Edgar's in our spiritual family up here. So what I would encourage you to do, I don't know where we're going to meet next week, 
But go home and find the rest of your spiritual family and invite them to your spiritual table and worship together. You know what I'm saying? See, he needs a lot on his table right here. We need to get some more people. Uh, there's a short thing that I want to share with you. And then uh, the president has asked that this be a day of prayer. Is that you back there, Biff? Biff, will you come up here for a minute, please? Please. I want you to give Biff a hand. I have your vision that God placed you in to put this together. It was a business, but it's blessed many, many people. And for you to bless us, I can't tell you how, what this means to me. And I just want to pray for you and ask God to bless you and your business because you're like Caleb. They're canceling, aren't they? Mm -hmm. And that hurts. Right. Right. Thanks. Lord, this man is your man. And as a Christian businessman, he has developed this um, wedding service to bless many people. And I want you to bless that business. I want you to fill him with your spirit. Bless his staff. Bless the grounds that his business is in. And just thank you for his friendship and his love for you. And Lord God, thank him above and beyond he, what he even understands about your blessings. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank I want to thank you. God bless you. In Daniel chapter 6, Daniel was, is confronted by a very terrible set of circumstances. He was the head of the Medan-Persian Empire under Darius, the king. And um, he was caring for that kingdom, and the kingdom was prospering. And Darius loved Daniel. There were about 120 uh, rulers underneath Daniel, governors, and they all became very jealous of him. And so they put together a law, and in the law it said that we were, they, the people, were supposed to worship only Darius and pray only to Darius for the next 30 days. That meant that anybody who loved the living God and worshipped him in any form, they were to be defeated, or excuse me, they were to be arrested and put in the lion's den. That's what the, that's what the law said. And if you knew the Medes and the Persians, when they made a law, it could not be rescinded. And so when, the, and Darius wasn't aware that this was a trap to trap Daniel. And then when Daniel heard about the law, you know what the, the first thing he did? 
he went to his house and he opened the windows that faced Jerusalem and he prayed for three, day, three times a day until they arrested him. And they took him before the king and the king was awestruck that he had been deceived. But still, because he was the king and it was his law, he had to put Daniel in the lion's den. With me? So he took him and he placed him in the lion's den. And when he put him there and sealed the door, he went back to the palace. With me? He couldn't eat. He couldn't handle his entertainment. And he couldn't sleep. But in the lion's den, Daniel laid his head on the floor, maybe even on a lion. And Daniel slept. And he was with the peace of God because an angel was sent to tell the lions not to eat Daniel. We have lots of adversities in our life. And we could talk about a lot of them. But today I just want to talk about the fact that if you love God and if you have faith in God, he will take you through the worst adversity that would face you. Even worse than not being able to find toilet paper. He will protect you from that which is desiring to destroy you. And as believers, we must live in that kind of faith. And so we must live in the faith that he will protect us from this virus. That's why we have chosen to worship in public worship because God commands it. And we will be here every Sunday and worship God because God will protect us. So he came back, the king, the next morning at the break of day and he yelled and he wanted to know if the God of heaven had protected Daniel. And Daniel said, yes, Lord. Yeah, I have been protected. And so he took him out. They lifted him out through a rope or something, and they got him out of there. And the 120 line, or the 120 rulers and their family, let's say 120 of them times, they had three families. How many is that? 100 times three, over 300, 400, something like that. It says that when they threw them into the lion's den, that they, before they could ever touch the ground, their bones were broken and they were eaten and killed. God did that. 
By faith, Noah built a heart or an ark. By faith, Moses led the people out of Egypt. By faith, Jesus died for us. By faith, they received back their death and made them alive. Hebrews chapter 11, you want to read it. So can we stand with Christ in this thing? Can we? Amen? Let's have a word of prayer. Let's stand here, have a word of prayer. Our faith is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. We dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly laying on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock we stand. All other ground is sinking sand. In the name of Jesus, by the power of your Holy Spirit, we join with whomever is praying in this country for our fellow Americans. I pray against the lies that people hear and listen to that create an atmosphere of fear. Lord, give us the wisdom to know the truth and then give us the wisdom on how to act upon the truth. And Father God, help us as your people to walk by faith in Jesus' name. And help us, Lord God, as we resist the lies and live in the truth to give us strength to believe you to follow you and to walk with you. Lord God, surely goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our life and we will dwell in the house of the Lord. And there is nothing, nothing that can defeat us. And if you were to come and to take us home, what a glorious day that will be so that we could worship you and give you honor and glory for the deliverance from sin and death you've given us. So we pray, Father God, that this will turn the hearts of the people to you because when Darius saw that Daniel had been but delivered, he made a law that everyone in the country will worship Daniel's God. So, Father, in Jesus' name, lead us in that path of righteousness. Bless these, your people. Bless my body here. Bless these precious brothers and sisters. Thank you for spiritual families. 
In Jesus' holy name, amen.